1: Jussie Smollett gets off the hook for an awful race hoax. Mitch McConnell plays AOC like a fish, and a mosque leader in New Zealand blames the Jews. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. Sometimes the news cycle just gives you too much to play with. I mean, honestly, sometimes the news cycle is just so full of wonderful goodness that you don't know where to begin. But I know where to begin. In 2008, the U.S. national debt was 10 trillion dollars. By the end of 2018, the debt was over $21 trillion. It is rising like a hockey stick. So if you don't think we are sitting on a house of cards, you are living with your head in the sand. But since you're listening to this podcast, you are clearly smarter than the average bear. So what is your plan? Can you afford another hit to your retirement, like the last downturn when the S&P dropped 50%? You can hedge against inflation, hedge against uncertainty, and instability with some precious metals. Gold is a safe haven against uncertainty, and my savings plan is diversified. Yours should be too. the company I trust with precious metal purchases... Birch Gold Group. Right now, thanks to a little known IRS tax law, you can even move that IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver, which could be good for people who want to protect their hard earned retirement savings from future geopolitical uncertainty. Look back historically when the bottom falls out of everything else, gold tends to safeguard savings. With the economy slowing down, you want to be diversified. Birch Gold Group has thousands of sati- satisfied customers, countless five star reviews, and an plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Contact Birch Gold Group. Get a free information kit on physical precious metals. See if divers- Diversifying into gold and silver makes sense for you. That comprehensive 16-page kit shows how gold and silver can protect your savings. To get that no-cost, no-obligation kit by texting BEN to 474747. That is BEN to 474747. Again, text the word BEN, my name, to 474747 to get started. All right, so quick announcement right off the bat. We were the number one sold book on Amazon in the last week, which is a great accomplishment. I want to thank everybody who purchased a copy of my book, The Right Side of History. We'll find out where it stacks on the bestseller lists a little bit later today. Suffice it to say, we've sold legitimately tens and tens and tens of thousands of copies in the first week alone, and we couldn't have done that without you. I think it's an important book. Please recommend it to your friends. And thank you so much for helping it really soar on the bestseller charts. Okay, Now to the news. Jussie Smollett. You remember Jussie Smollett. The guy from Empire, now I know, maybe you've never seen Empire, maybe this wasn't one of your shows, but Jesse Smollett is apparently an actor, and he's apparently a star of Empire, a guy who thinks he's very important, so important and so upset about Trump's murka that he allegedly sent himself in the mail a piece of hate mail, a piece of hate mail that contained white powder and a scrawled crayon drawing that threatened him with death. Allegedly, it was a letter from him to him. So there was that. Then he decided, you know what? I didn't get enough attention for the fake hate crime that I tried to perpetrate via the federal mails. So I'm going to do this thing in real life. You know, take it from script to screen. Now take it from page to reality. And so he found the two best white actors he knew, Nigerian-born brothers (laughs) who were his personal trainers, and then he paid them with a personal check to fake a hate crime in Chicago. I'm saying this, I'm going to say allegedly, just for purposes of legal protection, but it's not some allegedly guys. I mean, like the CPD had all the evidence that this happened, including the sign check. So he so here's his story. His story was, as you'll recall, that it was two o'clock in the, in the morning in the middle of a polar vortex in Chicago. And he went to a subway shop to get a subway sandwich at two in the morning in a polar vortex. And there on the streets of Chicago, which voted 86 percent for Hillary Clinton, he was confronted by two red-hatted MAGA fans who spotted him and knew him from the show Empire. Because if there is one show that is deeply popular among Trump fans, it is the show Empire. I mean, everywhere I go, I talk with Trump fans. First thing they ask is, did you see last night's episode of Empire? It's like the number one thing they talk about. I don't know, it's kind of crazy. That's just been my experience. In any case, this guy walking down the street and two MAGA-hatted guys apparently spot him out of the corner of their white eyes. And they look at him and they say, aha, Jussie Smollett, that guy doesn't like Trump. And this right here is MAGA country in the middle of Chicago at 2 a.m. in a polar vortex. And so they happened to have, good news for them, they happened to also have some clothesline and bleach on them. They proceeded to wrap the clothesline around his neck in a noose, and then they proceeded to pour bleach on him, and then they proceeded to kick him in the ribs and all of this. Now, the best news for Jussie Smollett, like, that was bad, right? But, but the best news for Jussie Smollett, he never lost his grip on that Subway sandwich. Some of us have priorities. Some of our priorities include making sure that our children are fed, making sure that we have a, a home, making sure that we get paid for a job well done. Others of us have real priorities, like you hold on to that damn Subway sandwich when two guys are beating the crap out of you while committing a fake hate crime. I mean, that Subway sandwich, you're, it's a long day's work. You need a snack after you have two guys beat you up for the press. So then Jesse Smollett goes back to his apartment, walks right past the, the, right past the security guard outside, Heads on up to his room. Security guard's got to be like, um, Jesse, you're covered in bleach and you have a noose around your neck. What happened? Apparently not. Apparently, Jesse just strolls right up back to his apartment. He then spends 40 minutes eating that Subway sandwich. I mean, chow down, buddy. And then he calls the cops. They show up and he still got the noose around his neck because that's what I would do. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, if somebody tried to hang me, what I would do is just leave that noose around my neck as long as I could because that's just, I don't know, kind of comfortable. It's, it's got a look to it. So the the police show up and they say, Jussie, will you hand over your phone? Because you said that you were on the phone with your manager. So we can confirm that that's true by location. We can look at your phone log. And Jussie Smollett's like, no, not going to do that. You know why? Invasion of privacy, guys. Invasion of privacy. And then he turns over a redacted call log. Well, the police are able to use his cell phone number to track down all of the calls he made that night and all of the numbers that he redacted. And apparently the numbers he redacted included the numbers of the Nigerian-born brother's who it turns out were not white MAGA-hatted Donald Trump fans. They were Nigerian-born personal trainers who were friends with Jussie Smollett and who Jussie Smollett then proceeded to throw under the bus. His new claim, Jussie Smollett's new claim, is that these two guys committed a hate crime. His friends committed a hate crime against him for no reason, just for the hell of it. And so all of this came out. It was obviously stupid. It was obviously terrible. The media had jumped on it. Kamala Harris called it a modern-day lynching. Corey Spartacus McBooker said the same thing. Joe Biden, like pretty much every Democrat came out of the woodwork like, this is America. This right here, this is what America looks like. It looks like a black man walking in Chicago in the middle of a polar vortex, holding onto a subway sandwich for dear life and being accosted by Mike Pence and Jared Kushner on the streets of Chicago. That's America, Trump's America. Turns out all of it was crap. The Chicago PD tracked all of it down. They looked at legitimately thousands of hours of footage. They spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of man hours. They had a bunch of police on this thing. And finally, they said, you know what? We should probably indict Justice Smollett for faking a hate crime and making a false police report. So 16 felony counts seems about right to us of lying to police. And then it got to the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. Now, in charge of the state's county's public attorney's office, the state's attorney's office, is a woman named Kim Fox. Kim Fox happens to be very, very close with the Obamas. Very close with the Obamas. And you know who else was very close with the Obamas? Was Jesse Smollett. So, one of Michelle Obama's aides, Tina Chen, who was friends with the Smollett family, texted Kim Fox and said, you know, Kim, is there a way you could, you know, see your way clear to kind of letting this thing go? Could you kind of see your way clear to letting this thing go? Because, you know, Jesse's a nice guy and his family knows Michelle O's family and everybody sort of knows each other. I mean, there are pictures of Jesse Smollett with Barack and Michelle Obama. So Gina Chen called up Kim Fox. And there there are pictures of Kim Fox with Kamala Harris. I mean, she's a Democratic politician. She tweeted out, not all that long ago, I mean, just back in January, quote, I'm so excited that Kamala Harris has decided to run for president. I would not be where I am today without her guidance during my first run for political office. And she has continued to mentor me as I work to reform the criminal justice system in Cook County. Well, she definitely has a way of reforming the criminal justice system in Cook County, and that is to let Jussie Smollett off the hook because the report today is that Kim Fox and her state's attorney's office, as of yesterday, dropped all charges against Jussie Smollett. They did not require him to apologize. They did not require him to do any jail time. They did not require him to do any further community service. They simply seized his $10,000 bond, which is a weird thing to do if he was completely innocent, right? He says he's innocent still. Well, no, if you're innocent, then you want your money back. But they dropped all of the charges And this was obviously, I mean, there's no way this was not done as a corrupt political favor to the Obama crew. That's all this was. This is all this was. Now, Kim Fox, as I say, she's got an interesting history. She won office in 2016. She unseated the former Cook County State's Attorney Anita Alvarez. She lost popularity, Alvarez did, over her handling of the now infamous Laquan McDonald murder. You'll remember Laquan McDonald was a black man shot 16 times by a Chicago police officer named Jason Van Dyke, and the entire video was kept Under wraps for like a year after the shooting, and then finally it came out, and then the officer was prosecuted. She's really entrenched in Chicago's political machine. There's a very good article about all of this by Emily Zanotti over at Daily Wire today. She is very entrenched in Chicago's political machine. She grew up in the city. She went to law school at Southern Illinois University, and then she served as an assistant state's attorney for more than a decade before she entered politics. In the early 2010s, she served as the chief of staff for Cook County board president and current mayoral candidate Tony Preckwinkle, herself heavily entrenched in Chicago politics. She's taken a lot of money from progressive organizations, including $300,000 in donations from George Soros. Her office had recent issues with handling violent offenders. She is notorious for lax prosecution. It has really ticked off the police who feel like she's undercut them repeatedly. There's a pending complaint against her from the Chicago PD for trying to interfere into their investigation. Last week, Chicago's primary police union, the Fraternal Order of Police, delivered a letter to the US, uh, st- the U.S. Attorney's Office in Chicago, that's the feds, alleging that Fox had tried to compromise their investigation of Jussie Smollett at the behest of a Smollett relative and a woman by the name of Tina Chen, who we've mentioned. In a series of text messages and emails, Chen contacted Fox on behalf of Smollett's family whom she said had concerns about the police investigation. Fox then appears to have told Chen and subsequently the Smollett relative, she would speak to police superintendent Eddie Johnson and convince him to turn over investigation of the alleged hate crime to the FBI. And then all of this came out thanks to a FOIA request. And here is what it said. Here's the letter originally from Tina Chen to Kim Fox. Hi, Kim. I sent an email to your work address, I think, as well. I wanted to give you a call on behalf of Jussie Smollett and family, who I know. They have concerns about the investigation, I am on an 8 a.m. flight to New York City, but please call me before then. I land about 10.15 Chicago time. My cell number is bleep. Many thanks. And then they started texting each other. Hello, Kim. Are you available to chat? Tina Chen gave me your number. Hi, are you available in five minutes? I'm at a conference in D.C. and will step out. Yes, I am. Spoke to the superintendent earlier. He made the ask. Trying to figure out logistics. I'll keep you posted. So the Chicago PD are rightly livid about this whole thing in a second. We'll show you Jussie Smollett continuing to lie, and then we'll show you Rahm Emanuel erupting, erupting on the state attorney's office. Kim Fox, there, there will be an investigation into Kim Fox, and well, there should be. This is insane, insane, as we say in the membrane. We'll get to all that in one second. First, five things business owners can count on from LegalZoom. Number one, reliability. Over two million people have used LegalZoom to start their businesses. LLCs, S-Corps, nonprofits, DBAs, and more, you can use LegalZoom to get started the right way. Number two, experience. They've been helping all types of business owners for over 17 years. You can count on LegalZoom to help with all the details. Number three, helpful support. They have the right people standing by ready for your questions, all based in the United States. Number four, legal advice. LegalZoom is not a law firm. They have a network of independent attorneys licensed in all 50 states, which means they can review contracts, help with employment laws, advise you on a lot of the hurdles that pop up. ...when you are running a business. And finally, number five, no surprises. LegalZoom provides complete transparency with upfront pricing, customer reviews, and a satisfaction guarantee. Check out LegalZoom today. See how they can make life better for you and your business. And don't forget to enter Ben at checkout to save even more. LegalZoom is where life meets legal. I've been using LegalZoom for years. I'm a lawyer myself, and there's nothing quite like being able to access useful legal documents now. You can even access their network of independent attorneys licensed in all 50 states. Go check them out right now, LegalZoom.com. And don't forget to enter BEN at checkout to save even more. Okay, so Jussie Smollett continues to lie. The state's attorney's office didn't even leverage an apology out of Jussie Smollett over all of this. Here is Jussie Smollett continuing to lie and invoking his dear mother. I've been truthful and consistent on every single level since day one. I would not be my mother's
2: son if I was capable of one drop of what I've been accused of. This has been an incredibly difficult time, honestly one of the worst of my entire life. But I'm a man of faith, and I'm a man that has knowledge of my history, and I would not bring my family, our lives, or the movement through a fire like this. I just wouldn't. Now I'd like nothing more than to just get back to work and move on with my life, but make no mistakes. I will always continue to fight for the justice, equality, and betterment of marginalized people everywhere.
1: Well, fortunately, Hollywood is a very forgiving place. So you can lie and completely fake a hate crime. And your brothers in Hollywood will simply welcome you back. Your brothers and sisters in Hollywood. Hollywood is a wonderful place. The Empire Writers Room sent out a tweet with a winky face. See y'all Wednesday. Hashtag empires. Hashtag empire fox. Because nothing says that you respect your viewers quite like backing an obvious race hoaxer. Well, Rahm Emanuel went on the warpath over this. So Rahm Emanuel, you know that something deeply corrupt happened when Rahm Emanuel and I are on the same side. This has never happened before in presumably all of human history. I am on the same side as Rahm Emanuel and David Axelrod and Eddie Johnson, the CPD superintendent. Everybody is looking at this and going, what in the living hell just happened here? Here is Rahm Emanuel blasting the living daylight out of the state attorney, Kim Fox.
0: From top to bottom, this is not on the level. In the end of the day, it's Mr. Smollett that committed this false claim upon two individuals and who also testified but also on the city. Uh, One action, yes, we're looking at the state's attorney. It is not on the level from beginning to end. And there needs to be a level of accountability throughout the system.
1: And this sends an unambiguous message that there is no accountability. And that is wrong. Okay, so Rahm Emanuel fighting Matt and, of course, attacking Justice Smollett, too, saying, you know, how dare he do this, which, of course, is exactly right. Here is the mayor of Chicago saying this is just absurd
0: mr smollett is still saying that he is innocent still running down the chicago police department how dare him how dare him after everybody saw and i want to remind you this is not the superintendent's word against his the grand jury a sliver of the evidence and they came to a conclusion as did the state's attorney's office and even after this whitewash there still no sense of ownership of what he's done. He says that, in fact, he is the wrong in this case.
1: Okay, so Rahm Emanuel fighting mad over this. He's not the only one fighting mad over this. We'll see in a second that there were other high-ranking officials who are very upset over this. The media, however, were really sanguine about the whole thing. Pretty amazing. So here is Chicago PD Superintendent Eddie Johnson. He's watched his department get dragged through the mud by Jesse Smollett. Jesse Smollett suggesting that the lack of, of charges brought against these phantom white men who attacked him, that that was the fault of the racist CPD. Here was the Chicago PD superintendent saying, listen, this is a hoax. It's obvious it was a hoax. The guy's guilty. At the end of the day, it's Mr. Smollett
3: who committed this, 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 this hoax, period. If he wanted to clear his name, the way to do that was in a court of law so that everyone could see the evidence.
1: Okay, well, you know, that last point is not a great one because obviously you're going to take whatever deal is put in front of you. With that said, Eddie Johnson has every right to be livid about all of this. Now, what's hilarious is to watch as Democrats and the media pretend that they don't know what happened here. Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, continue to pretend that this is all, it's just a giant mystery, guys. It's just like OJ. You know, like, oj who was the real killer anyway? And I'm really looking forward to the buddy cop comedy where Jussie and O.J. go looking for the real killer and the real hate crime perpetrators across America. And it turns out it was in the mirror the whole time. You know, the adventure was really the journey. At the end of that adventure, the, re- the real truth is at least they made friends. That'll be the end of that, that buddy cop comedy. In any case, here's Brian Stelter doing yeoman's work as the ombudsman of legal and, and journalistic ethics over at CNN. Brian Stelter saying, you know, we may never know what happened. It's a mystery. A mystery wrapped in an enigma. We, we may never know, you know, despite the fact that we have like a signed check and we have tape of these guys buying all the goods and we have the cell phone records and we have all sorts of evidence and we have their testimony. No, Brian Stelter says, we just don't know. Guys, we, ju- we have to withhold judgment.
0: So far, no comment from the network, but I do think we will see Smollett get back to work uh, because the, the narrative has once again changed from victim, uh, you know, to villain, Back to victim. It's been very confusing, as, as Ryan was saying, uh, people don't know what to believe, and we may never really know what happened on the street that night in Chicago. Uh, but for his fans, for his friends, this is a triumphant moment uh, that he can now get back to what he wants to do, which is work.
1: Oh, that's exactly what he wants to do. I mean, aside from faking racial hoaxes for publicity, that's really what he wants to do is work. After all, I mean, he wants to get back to making hundred thousand dollars per episode. The reports were, according to Eddie Johnson, you'll recall, that Jesse Smollett did all of this to increase his pay rate because it wasn't enough to make millions of dollars in a supporting part on a network TV show. Now, he needed to increase his pay. But Brian Brian Stelter showing the curiosity of a feeble minded chameleon there. And just, uh, wow, I mean, I, I guess that's all we, we'll know. We'll never know what happened on that street, guys. I mean, it's just b- mysteries, mysteries. What do we do about this? Kamala Harris did the same thing. The senator from California who declared this a modern day lynching the same day it happened. Now she's just confused, which is weird. I was told that she was once a prosecutor and that she had a legal mind and that she can spot crime a mile away with her eagle eye. But now Jesse Smollett comes along. and It's like, well, I, I don't know. It's it's also puzzling. And conf- I just can't I can't suss this one out. What do you think about what
2: happened to Jesse Smollett in Chicago today?
1: <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, Wolf,
0: I'm completely confused. I don't understand. I don't know. I, I don't know the underlying evidence. I have, you know, there, there's a sealed document, obviously. I don't know. I'm at a loss. I think we're going to have to leave it up to the judgment of the, the prosecutor. I think we
1: should leave it up to the judgment of the police chief to, to, and the mayor, of course to give us some better sense of what's going on. I don't I, know. I mean, I, I just don't know. It's, it's, it's such a mystery. Like the day that it happened and he reported this, she called it a modern day lynching, linking it to, you know, racial lynchings of the past. But now we know exactly what happened. And it's, I'm confused, guys. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, it's just, how am I supposed to come to a conclusion when I have every single bit of evidence? Now, what was hilarious is Wolf Blitzer on CNN tried this with Rahm Emanuel and Rahm Emanuel essentially curb stomped him. I mean, <laughs> it's really funny.
2: Was the full picture painted by the evidence perhaps not as compelling uh, as uh, what was presented to the grand well, it was compelling
0: jury? Enough, it was compelling enough. Well, wait a second. The evidence presented to the grand jury is what brought the charges. The police did a good job, and the evidence holds up, and he actually did co- uh, commit the hoax. They're saying $10,000 and two days of community service is good enough. And I'm, I don't believe, not only is it not good enough, especially when he's walking around thinking that he is actually innocent, not guilty, and B, he's innocent not on a, not only legally and a criminal justice sense, he is also guilty, in my view, of a moral crime, which is to use the hate
1: crimes to advance his own career for selfish reasons. Rahm Emanuel, the voice of reason. What in the world is going on, guys? I don't even know. Donald Trump's fever dream in which we are all just living continues the cook county attorney came out and said yeah we know jesse's guilty like we're not pretending that he's innocent here this was maggots the 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 second literally named maggots the the second in command over at the state's attorney's office he was asked about this he's like it was you know it wasn't really like we let him off the hook it's an alternative disposition guys it's an alternative disposition this was not an exoneration
3: uh to say that he was exonerated by us or anyone else is, is not true. I called an alternative disposition in that uh, he agreed to do community service, he agreed to forfeit his bail to the, the remainder of his bond to the city of Chicago, and in, in return for him doing those things, we agreed to dismiss the indictment.
1: Okay, so yeah, and then he says, so he was asked, so is he innocent? Right? And he's like, no, not, not, not really actually.
3: Does dropping the charges vindicate him? No. Does it exonerate him? No. Do you believe that he is innocent? I do not believe he's innocent. So you believe he's guilty? Yes. So why drop the charges? Based on all the facts and circumstances, based on his lack of criminal background. I mean, we defer or do alternative prosecutions. In the last two years, we've done it on 5,700 other felony cases.
1: You mean Chicago is super corrupt? No, no. My favorite part of this is Smollett's attorney, who is gamely trying to play this thing out. Smollett's attorney goes on with Don Lemon, who said that he wanted Jussie Smollett's story to be true, who said that he was texting with Jussie Smollett when all of this is happening. And Smollett's attorney is now relegated to having to explain why two Nigerian-born brothers who were friends with Jussie Smollett committed a hate crime. I am not kidding you. This is the, this is the new story. Here's Smollett's attorney doing this routine.
0: I'm not the prosecutor in the case. I have no idea what they're doing. Uh, as in any criminal matter, people operate behind the scenes. That's how it should be. All I do know is that Jesse was attacked that night, that it was someone else who called the police uh, and that things went downhill from there. I have no idea why or what the motive would be behind a situation like this. We don't know. Um, There's just no it doesn't make sense that uh, Jesse has to be the one to come up with an answer to why someone attacked
1: him. Um, Yeah, it does, since he is the one who made the whole thing up. So there is that. Okay. meanwhile, in other in other hilarious news, I mean, this news cycle is just bizarre world and and hilarious in many ways. So the Democrats have been claiming for a long time. People are dying. We need the Green New Deal. It's been featured on the cover of Time magazine. It's been featured by The Washington Post. We've heard the intelligentsia sound off on AOC. So fresh, so face, so much incredible freshness as well as faceness. And her Green New Deal, which is the most important piece of legislation since World War II. We are in a battle with the sun, and we are going to win it. And if it costs us $93 trillion over the next 10 years, i.e. $65,000 per American family every year from now until doom, well, then we're going to do it. Because otherwise, in 12 years, guys, we're dead. In a dozen years, that's right. You're plotting. Your kids are plotting. Your grandparents are plotting. We're going to dig them up. They're going to plot again. That's how all of this is going to work. AOC yesterday was like you know what guys like well like people wow well, um they're dying like well
0: this is not an elitist issue this is a quality of life issue you want to tell people that their concern and their desire for clean air and clean water is elitist people are dying. They are dying. And the response across the other side of the aisle is to introduce an amendment five minutes before a hearing and a markup. This is serious. This should not be a partisan issue.
1: This is serious. People are dying, guys. We need a vote on the. Wait, no, 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 no. Sorry. Sorry. Let me rephrase. We need a debate about it. I'm going to introduce this bill. It is so important. We're going to kill the farting cows. We're going to get rid of airplanes. We're going to wreck every building or retrofit every building in the United States. We're going to get rid of cars. I mean, guys, it's going to be the best. We are going to invent unicorns that float on their own flatulence, but their flatulence has no carbon emissions. None. No methane. Methane Methane-free flatulence from unicorns. That's how all this is going to work. The Democrats propose all this, right? Ed Markey does it. And we are told by Cory Booker, very seriously, this is the most important moment of our lives. And we are told by Kamala Harris that this is so important. And we're told by Elizabeth Warren, this is so important. Elizabeth Warren says that this Green New Deal is like the moon landing, which she should know since she recently was on the moon. It's where she gets most of her ideas. Here was Elizabeth Warren yesterday saying that the Green New Deal is so important, it's just like when we landed on the moon, except for not at all like that.
3: President Kennedy challenged our nation to lead the space race, and less than seven years later, Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon. The impossible had become a reality, and America had led the way. It's time not only to challenge our country to tackle climate change head-on,
1: but also to lead the world in doing so. If we do not lead, then others will. If we don't lead, others will. And if others do, we're all going to die. Everybody's going to die. Death all around. So Mitch McConnell looks at the Green New Deal and he's like, you know what? You're right. It's super important. I see now how important it is because you guys keep jabbering about it incessantly. So you know what we should do? We should probably vote on it. Let's have a vote. Let's see if we can finally move forward on the most pressing issue of our age. It is deeply important. We must move forward on this. Cocaine Mitch bringing it to the floor for a vote. And then Senator Mike Lee... Who is low-key, extremely funny. So Senator Mike Lee of Utah, friend to the program and personal friend of mine, he's really, really... One of the things about Mike Lee is the dude, he's like Bob Newhart. He's, He's really funny, but it's all with a straight face. So Mike Lee did a speech on the floor of the United States Senate mocking the living daylights out of the Green New Deal, mainly by using memes, which was just great. So my favorite is he brought out a painting of Ronald Reagan riding a velociraptor while firing a machine gun. And he explained what this had to do with the Green New Deal.
2: After reading the Green New Deal, I'm mostly afraid of not being able to get through this speech with a straight face. For Mr. President, I rise today to consider the Green New Deal with the seriousness it deserves. This is, of course, a picture of former President Ronald Reagan Uh, naturally firing a a machine gun while riding on the back of a dinosaur. You'll notice a couple of important features here. Uh, First of all, uh, the rocket launcher uh, strapped to President Reagan's back. And then the stirring, unmistakable patriotism of the velociraptor holding up a tattered American flag, a symbol of all it means to be an American. This image has as much to do with overcoming communism in the 20th century as the Green New Deal has to do with overcoming climate change in the 21st.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that was not the only one? Then he he did this whole thing about how the only way under the Green New Deal to get from Hawaii to the mainland was to swim like Aquaman. They put up like a picture of Aquaman riding a dolphin. It's just, it's, it was great. It was great. So the media did what the media do. The media pretended that they don't understand what a joke is. When do- somebody on the right does something funny, the media's first response is, what is joke? Why? How funny? What What do funny mean? And then they then they run headlines like, Mike Lee makes bizarre criticism of Green New Deal showing Reagan on Velociraptor. It's like, no, it's a joke, you idiots. And we all know you're lying. We all know you get the joke. But you're going to pretend to play it straight because he's so weird, man. I mean, he used a meme. But AOC, she's super cool when she uses memes and says like a lot and also has an instant pot. I know, God, it's amazing. So... Here is the best part of this. So it comes up for the vote. All 53 Republicans vote no on the stupid Green New Deal. And four Democrats, meaning three Democrats and independent Angus King of Maine, they also vote no. That would be Kristen Cinema of Arizona voting no and Doug Jones of Alabama voting no and Joe Manchin of West Virginia voting no, all because they are in purple states or red states and they are afraid of losing their seats if they vote for this dumbass plan. Okay, then we get to the actual Democrats, including no less. Then six different Democratic senators voting on this thing. So how did they vote? Did any of them vote in favor of bringing the most important piece of legislation of our time to the floor? Did any of them vote in favor of this world-changing, world-beating proposal? Did any? Every single Democrat voted present. Everyone. They didn't want to be on record behind this thing. So they voted president, uh, present, which means basically no. Right? They voted present. And then they proclaimed that the real bad actor here, Obviously, I mean, come on, the real bad actor clearly is Mitch McConnell. So it's not us for proposing this dumb, stupid deal that nobody wants and looks terrible and is pointless and doesn't achieve what it seeks to achieve and pledges to destroy the American economy and wreck the future of the United States. That's not on us. It's on Mitch McConnell for bringing it up to a vote. So Democrats bring this thing up and then they're like, this is the most important thing we've ever done. And McConnell's like, good, let's vote on it. Like, no, no, (laughs) you tricky. Tricky McConnell. (laughs) you're not going to catch us in the voting on it. And then they just run away like King Arthur and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Just run away, guys. Run away. Okay, in a second, we're going to get to the Democratic response to the vote because it's really, really funny. But first... Let me remind you that you should go subscribe over at dailywire.com. When you do, for $9.99 a month, you get the rest of this show live. You get the two additional hours of the show every day. I mean, what more can we do for you? I'll tell you what more we can do for you people. We can also have a Sunday special available on Saturday with extra material behind the paywall. This week's Sunday special features the inimitable, extraordinarily dour Matt Walsh of The Daily Wire.
3: Hey, it's Matt Walsh. Uh, Tune in this week to the Ben Shapiro Sunday special. We're going to be talking about a lot of important issues. Heaven and hell, the Catholic Church, what's going on with society, yoga, uh, Game of Thrones, a lot of interesting subjects.
1: Uh, We'll see you this week. Spoiler alert, dude doesn't like yoga. So go check that out right now. For $99 a year, you get all of those things. Plus this, the leftist here is hot or cold tumbler. Cast your eyes upon it and be enlivened, enraptured by its joy. Look at it. The leftist here is hot or cold tumbler. You could hold this in your very hand. If only, if only you weren't so stingy. So go check it out over at Taylor. Also, what more can we give? I'll tell you what more we can give you. We can give you this coffee maker that also makes Julian fries. You can join us tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for the latest episode of Daily Wire Backstage. Daily Wire God King Jeremy Boring, me, Andrew Clavin, the horrible Michael Knowles, and this week's special guest, Matt Walsh, will be here to cover the never-ending insanity of today's political climate. As always, only Daily Wire subscribers get to ask the questions and speak with sassy Alicia, so make sure to subscribe today. Pregnancy has made Alicia incredibly sassy. I can say that because she's like my sister which means I can make fun of her just like I make fun of my own sisters. Go check it all out over at dailywire.com. $99 a year gets you the annual subscription. Also, go over to YouTube, iTunes, leave us a review, follow us. We always appreciate it. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the United States. So the Democrats are fighting, fighting mad at Mitch McConnell and Mike Lee for mocking their beautiful, wonderful program. Basically, The Democrats brought home a stripper to mom and mom was like, yeah, this is a bad idea. Like, I love her, though. She's the best. And mom's like, so fine. Why don't you marry her and then have a joint bank account? And they're like, no, no, we're not going to do that. (laughs) Like, We're not stupid enough for that. So it was really funny to watch the Democrats yesterday trying to trying to back out of this thing as slowly as humanly possible. So Richard Blumenthal, the, the foolish senator from Connecticut, he says, no, you know what? you know what? We'll vote present. I mean, we're not going to vote yes on it because that would be real dumb. We're going to vote present. You have signed on to Senator Markey's Green New Deal. How will you be voting today?
0: I support the Green New Deal. We may be voting present simply as a kind of protest against the McConnell stunt here. It really is in a way a real disservice to the legislative process to put on the floor a proposal that he knows the president won't sign that is done just to drive a wedge between different parts of our democratic
1: colleagues i was informed this was the most popular necessary plan in the history of the republic that's what i was told i was told aoc was uniquely singular figure in democratic party politics this thing was so amazing it was amazeballs. It was flaming amazeballs. It was just incredible in every possible way. And now the Democrats are like, I can't, he, he want us to vote on it? I mean, what a jerk. Want us to vote on our own proposal? We got to have hearings. So what, here's what McConnell should do next. He should be like, you know what? You're right. Let's have some hearings. Let's do this thing. I'm scheduling a bunch of hearings for the financial impact of the Green New Deal. And I want to hear from you people about why you think it's necessary to destroy every standing building in the United States or retrofit it. I'd like to hear about the slaughter, the mass slaughter of dying cows. It's the silence of the cows out there. So let's hear about it. Kirsten Gillibrand, who is legitimately the worst. And she's just, she's, just it, she's really funny in the sense that she's so obvious about everything that she does. As I've said before, she's an age-reversed Hillary Clinton. She, she has all of the charisma of a speed bump. She has all of the mental agility of Gumby. It's pretty It's pretty astonishing. So Kirsten Gillibrand, she tweeted out, you know what, guys? We got to stop playing games. Stop playing games. That's my job to play games. She tweeted out, here's a radical idea. Instead of a game of political pinata with our planet's future, let's have a real debate about the Green New Deal. And I have an even better idea. Instead of having a real debate, let's just vote on it. She says, we're talking about infrastructure, job creation, and clean air and water. And if Republicans don't support that, they should explain why. If you don't support it, you should explain why, Kirsten Gillibrand. You voted present. I was informed we will all die in the next dozen years if Democrats didn't vote for this thing and you didn't vote for it. The children are asking you, Madam Senator, why you wouldn't protect their future. The children. So AOC was quite humiliated by all of this. She was very sad about all of this. She says, Republicans just wanna play games like, um, yeah, it's terrible.
0: We have thousands of people Whose lives are at risk. There are towns in Iowa that went completely underwater, and they want to play games
1: with this. Oh, they just want to play games with that. I mean, just, oh man. And then my favorite is that she tweeted this out. She tweeted out after everybody voted president, and not a single senator voted for her crappy plan, including Ed Markey, who sponsored her crappy plan. She tweeted out, because I encourage them to vote present along with others. McConnell tried to rush the Green New Deal straight to the floor without a hearing. The real question we should be asking why does the Senate GOP refuse to hold any major hearings on climate change? So, first of all, they should. And I hope that Mitch McConnell takes her up on that. Second of all, this is basically her saying, I'm not owned, I'm not owned, as she slowly shrinks and transforms into a corn cob. I mean, that is. <laughs> and Mitch McConnell's office tweeted that out. <laughs> They tweeted out a picture of AOC, her face slowly transforming into a corn cob, and above it, the caption, I'm not owned. I'm not owned. Ah, glorious, glorious day. So really, really funny stuff. Again, guys, you don't like your own idea? Don't put it forward. If it wasn't ready for prime time, maybe you shouldn't have elevated it. And yet you decided that AOC was going to be the spokesperson for your dumb ideas, and she goes forth, and then you just saw off that branch right behind her, And there she is standing in midair saying, I told all the senators to vote present, guys. That was my idea. So question, Chuck Schumer. Question, Kirsten Gillibrand. Question, Elizabeth Warren. Question, Cory Booker. Question, Amy Klobuchar. Question, Kamala Harris. Question, to every Senate Democrat who's running for president, plus the Senate Minority Leader, is it true that AOC, a first-term congresswoman with the IQ of a kumquat, is now giving you orders as to how you should vote on bills? Is that true? And if so, why should you be president of the United States or Senate minority leader? If this person who can mix a perfect Tom Collins but not write a bill, if this person is considered the intellectual heavyweight in your party, why should we give you any credence at all? Like I really wanna know. And if there were a journalist in Washington DC alive today, I know apparently the, the failure of the passage of the Green New Deal has killed all the journalists because none of them will ask any of the Democratic senators whether AOC told them to vote president. She says they did. So I want to know, are the Democratic senators taking their orders from this numbskull? Are they taking their orders from this person? I'm sorry, she's she's ignorant. Okay, it is not my fault she's ignorant. It is your fault that she's ignorant. You elected her and then you made her into a star. And now you're taking orders from her. It is she who single-handedly sunk the entire Green New Deal rollout with her dumb frequently asked questions that we read word for word on air when it came out. It was so stupid. So this one's on you. It ain't on me. Okay, meanwhile, speaking of the fresh faces of the Democratic Congress, so incredibly fresh as well as incredibly face. I mean, just freshness and faceness beyond imagination. I will point out that Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar continue to be rabid anti-Semites. So that's exciting. Uh, Ilhan Omar's chief of staff or her communications director, tweeted something out today. What did she tweet out? She tweeted, uh, he tweeted out rather. He tweeted out, and I'm reading this directly, that his name is Jeremy Slevin. He has a past working for, I kid you not, Keith Ellison, who is not a friend to the Jews, as well as Louis Farrakhan, really not a friend to the Jews. He tweeted out Jeremy Slevin, quote, Antisemitism is a right wing force, 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 antisemitism is a right-wing force, anti-semitism is a right wing force. 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 force, antisemitism is a right-wing force. He just tweeted that out like 20 times. Because nothing is quite as convincing as when a person just repeats a sentence over and over to me. I know it works with my kids. When my son just stands there and shouts at me that he wants a cookie, I am so much more likely to give him a cookie. Or alternatively, I never give him a cookie when he does that because he's just proving himself to be a small, crazy person. He's two. Jeremy Slevin is presumably not two. And yet he he keeps repeating that anti-Semitism is a right-wing force. He works for Ilhan Omar, who is an open anti-Semite. Ilhan Omar has not hidden the ball here. And speaking of anti-Semites in Congress, Rashida Tlaib, who, is, who has used the dual loyalty smear herself on, on every Israel supporter, and Jews particularly, she has a person who she specifically invited to her inauguration. And that person was protesting APAC, and stood outside of APAC and shouted that the Jews are the real Nazis. That guy was invited to Rashida Tlaib's inauguration, to her swearing in. Here he was outside the rally shouting that the, that the Jews were actually just Nazis.
0: We are not here to be lovey-dovey with the progressive Zionists. Never. No. Because a progressive Zionist is like a progressive Nazi. Yes. yes. There is yes. no difference between a progressive Zionist and a progressive Nazi member.
1: Okay, it's, it really is astonishing. You know, to pretend that a strong strain of anti Semitism does not run. Inside the Muslim community is to is to pretend away the truth. Okay, the fact is there is a strong strain of anti-Semitism that runs in the Muslim community. That does not mean that everyone who is Muslim is an anti-Semite. Of course, it does not mean that every Muslim hates Jews. It does mean that there is a strong strain of anti-Semitism that is present in a lot of Muslim communities around the world, and that it is mainstream in a lot of circles. Which is why Rashida Tlaib can help host an anti-Semite like this guy at her inauguration. She's an anti-Semite, Ilhan Omar is an anti-Semite. You wanna know how strong this strain is. I mean, it's it's strong enough that at a at a an actual at an actual memorial honoring the slain in Christchurch, the leader of a mosque got up. I mean, this is a major mosque in New Zealand and blamed Mossad and the Jews for the shooting in Christchurch.
3: I stand here and I say I have a very, very strong suspicion that there is some group behind him, and I am not Afraid to say, I feel Mossad is behind this. It's the truth. Israel's behind it.
1: And then there's a guy shouting, It's the truth. Israel's behind this. He says this at a rally of hundreds and hundreds of people. Mossad, of course, is the, intellig- the foreign intelligence agency of Israel. It's essentially the CIA of Israel. That was Ahmed Bamji, the chairman of the Mount Roskil Masjid e Umar. So good times. Over there, that's, that's just wonderful. And covering for all of this anti-Semitism is, of course, the Huffington Post, which has as its lead today, dual loyalty is a slur that targets Muslims. So lest you be, uh, lest you be thinking that Ilhan Omar accusing Jews of dual loyalty and Israel supporters of dual loyalty is anti-Semitic, the real dual loyalty slur is targeted at Ilhan Omar. The re- actually, actually, the real dual loyalty slur is targeted at Rashida Tlaib. Now, I've never suggested that Rashida Tlaib has dual loyalty. I've never suggested that Ilhan Omar has dual loyalty. I've suggested that they're anti-Semites. And that's because they are. And the progressive wing of the Democratic Party that continues to lend credence to these people is disgracing itself in incredibly epic ways. The fact that the Democratic Party continues to promote these quote-unquote fresh faces is absolutely stunning and telling. And it turns out that anti-Semitism is not a right-wing phenomenon. Anti-Semitism exists in virtually every political movement, And where it is most virulent, the political movement is most dangerous. Where it is most virulent in today's world is not inside the conservative party in the United States. It's not inside the Republican Party. This is perfectly obvious from every poll done. It is perfectly obvious from the behavior of Republican Congress people. It is perfectly obvious from the behavior of President Trump, who, by the way, is extraordinarily philo-Semitic and happens to be the best friend of Israel who has ever sat in the White House. And it is not close. The repository of anti-Semitism in the modern world in politics is largely on the political left. Those are the people who are covering for Muslim anti-Semitism in the Middle East. Those are the people who are making excuses for Hamas today as Hamas continues to fire rockets into southern Israel at civilian areas. These are the people who continue to claim that Israel is the bad actor in a conflict in which Israel simply argues for its own right to exist. These are the same people who are claiming that attacks on synagogues are really just anti-Zionism, not anti-Semitism. It is the it is the political left that has made room for anti-semitism in its mainstream it's why jeremy corbyn is the head of the labor party in britain and it's why aoc and ilhan omar and rashida talib are considered the leading lights of the democratic party and it's the old-fashioned democrats who still suggest that israel is important it's nancy pelosi and steiny Hoyer, you know people over the age of 65 it's those old-fashioned democrats who still look at israel and see a democratic free country who still look at jews and say yeah those are fellow americans those people." Are the old guard in the Democratic Party, which is the reason why so many of the Democratic presidential candidates decided to skip APAC this year. Kamala Harris, with all the with all the intestinal fortitude of an empty vessel, met secretly, met quietly with people from APAC, but she wouldn't go to APAC because she was t- she was afraid of ticking off her progressive base. Ilhan Omar's comms person tweeting out anti-Semitism is a right wing phenomenon. Your boss is an anti-Semitism is an anti-Semite dude, and from all indicators at your your past employment, you seem pretty comfortable with all of that. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, things that I like today. There is a good movie from Steve McQueen, not the guy from Bullet, the director of 12 Years a Slave. The movie is called Widows. Now, the movie's kind of weird because it's actually like three movies in one um, and it doesn't hold together completely, but it's got some really interesting things about it. So, the, the most interesting thing about this movie is the way that it portrays Chicago is basically just the center of American corruption, which, of course, as we've seen today, it absolutely is. Colin Farrell is running for a, for a city alderman. He's running against a black guy who happens to be a former gangster and still is into, you know, basically all sorts of organized crime. And that is one story. And that intersects with a, a heist part of the film, which is really about the widows of these guys deciding to hold the robbery. And then there is an interpersonal drama between Liam Neeson, who is white, and uh, I'm trying, Violet, um, Violet Davis, is that the name of the actress? I can't remember the name of the actress. Um, she's really good. Viola Davis, thank you. Um, and, she is, uh, and she is his wife, and they have a kid, and the kid is shot during a traffic stop by the police. So there's a little bit of interpersonal drama there. It's really three movies in one, which means that it's too packed, it's too much, it's too many storylines. It could have been more straightforward, it could have lost half an hour. But all the political commentary about the city of Chicago is pretty spot on. Here's a little bit of the preview. You have no idea, do you? What
0: did you choose not to know? Your husband stole two million dollars from me.
2: This is about my life.
0: This is about my life. And because it's about my life,
1: it now
2: becomes about yours.
1: The movie's really well shot, and, and it's, it's good. It's, 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 a, it's a pretty interesting movie. It has a, a stupid twist about 35 minutes from the end, but if you can get past that, the movie is, is at least very interesting. Elizabeth Debicki is a revelation. She is a terrific actress. Uh, she's also eight feet tall, uh, and it really makes her stand out in this film. She just towers over everybody. You'll also remember her from Guardians of the Galaxy 2, I believe, uh, where she plays one of the, the aliens, uh, and uh, she's, she's terrific. She, she really connects. She's in the new Chris Nolan movie. That's all I care about, by the way. People, I was asked on The Conversation what movies I was looking forward to, and the answer is anything Chris Nolan makes ever. So I don't even know what his movie is in 2020. It's supposed to be an action flick, and the cast is supposed to be just stellar. It's like a top-line cast. It's Robert Pattinson, and um, I'm trying to remember who else in it. The guy from Black Klansmen. Th- there are a bunch of really good actors in it, so looking forward to that. Okay, time for some things that I hate. All right, so let's begin with Cardi B. So Cardi B is a rapper. She is a a rap star. And every so often, she issues a little rant about how she doesn't want the government taking her money, and that's amusing. But she is not exactly a model citizen, nor has she ever proclaimed to be one. Well, now there's a piece of tape that came out from about three years ago in which she discusses the fact that she used to seduce men back to her apartment or their apartment, and then she would drug them and rob them. This is why she legitimately says this out loud. And then she issued kind of a half-assed apology that's not really quite an apology,
0: me? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Let's go to this hotel. Difficult I, to hear exactly what she's saying then because it's a lot of cursing and a lot of yelling. But she's, she says that when she was a stripper, she would drug and rob men. She would bring them back to her apartment. And then she's and then she she issued a statement saying this. So I'm seeing on social media. That a live I did three years ago has popped back up. A live where I talked about things I had to do in my past, right or wrong, that I felt I needed to do to make a living. Uh, That is not a good excuse. Drugging and robbing people, that is a crime, gang. And in America, you do not actually need to drug and rob people in order to make a living. And if you feel that you needed to do that to make a living, that is still called a crime. She says, I never claim to be perfect or come from a perfect world with a perfect past. I always speak my truth. I always own my bleep. I'm a part of a hip-hop culture where you can talk about where you come from, about the wrong things you had to do to get where you are. There are rappers that glorify murder, violence, drugs, and robbing, crimes they feel they had to do to survive. She is right about this. It is one of my main critiques of rap culture, which is that you glorify all this crap, and that's bad. She says, crimes they feel they had to do to survive. I never glorified the things I brought up in that live. I never even put those things in my music because I'm not proud of it, and I feel a responsibility not to glorify it. I made the choices that I did at the time because I had very limited options. Again, drugging and robbing men? Not An option says, I was blessed to have been able to rise from that, but so many women have not. So does she know of any of the other women who are drugging and robbing men? Because that seems kind of bad. She says, whether or not they were poor choices at the time, I did what I had to do to survive. She keeps saying that as though we don't have welfare programs in the United States or charitable programs or the United States, or as though she wasn't working a job as a stripper at the time, or as though she couldn't get a job as a waitress or anything. I guess the the job. So is a choice between starvation and drugging and robbing men? That was the choice. Pretty sure that's not true. Because the men I spoke about in my life were men that I dated, that I was involved with, men that were conscious, willing, and aware. You're going to have to explain to me. Hey, you drug and robbed somebody, and they were conscious, willing, and aware. That's pretty weird. I mean, like, it seems to me that if you drug somebody, they are by necessity not conscious, willing, and aware. Just, just me, and biological reality, and facts over here. But, you know, she was there she Says I have a past that I can't change. We all do. OK, so that's what she has to say about this. She will be exonerated of all this. We will pretend that it's not a big deal that she just admitted to openly committing a series of crimes. Now, is there evidence of this? Should she? I mean, again, there's no victim that has come forward. She should not be prosecuted for crimes that cannot be proved. But the the willingness of people to overlook stuff like this, because she happens to be. Well, imagine if it had been a man, if it, if it were R. Kelly he said, you know what? Back in my past, you know what I used to do? I used to go out to the street. And then I would convince women to come back to my apartment, then I would drug, and I would rape them, and then I would take their money. It's what I had to do to survive, man, what I had to do to survive. You would all be like, uh, what now? You should go to jail. But she says this, feminism would suggest that if men and women are truly equal, uh, we should be pretty appalled by all of this. Now, there is something that we are appalled by today, something deep and important that we are all appalled by today. This comes courtesy of the San Francisco Chronicle. Here is the name and the Washington Post. Here's the name of the article. Teen boys rated their female classmates based on looks. The girls fought back. Boom, whammo. This is from Bethesda, Maryland. Yasmin Bebahani had just walked into her third period health class when her friend asked if she had seen the list. There's a list of the girls' names, her friend Nikki Schmidt, a fellow senior at Bethesda Chevy Chase High School in Maryland, said, and were ranked. Bebe didn't want to see the list or know whether she was on it. She'd spent the past four years recovering from an eating disorder, working hard to avoid comparing herself with others, she said. But by her sixth period class on that Monday earlier this month, a text message appeared on her phone with a screenshot of the list typed out on the iPhone's Notes app. It included the names of 18 girls at this high school, ranked and rated on the basis of their looks from 5.5 to 9.4, with decimal points to the 100th place. There, with the number beside it, was Bebe name. A group of male students in their program created the list more than a year ago, but it resurfaced earlier this month through text messages and whispers during class. One male classmate, seeing the name of his good friend Nikki Schmidt on the list, told her about it, and within 24 hours, dozens of girls had heard about the list as well. Lists like this one had silently circulated among teen boys for generations, and it has happened in more recent years at Bethesda Chevy Chase High School, too, the student said. But it was happening now, in the era of the Me Too movement. Women had been standing up to harassment in workplaces and on college campuses, and the high school girls who had been witnessing this empowerment decided they weren't going to let the issue slide. So a couple of quick notes here. Men rate women based on looks. Yeah, just, sorry to break it to ladies. This is called evolutionary biology. Men have always, males of species, rate, rate females of species based on sexual attractiveness. And now, that does not mean that they should treat women based on that level of sexual attractiveness. It doesn't mean that they should even mate with women and marry women based solely on the sexual attractiveness scale. In fact, as I've argued 1,000 times on the show, people should date and marry on the basis of values, not sexual attraction alone, although sexual attraction is a component of a healthy marriage. But are we going to pretend that men don't actually see women sexually? Are we going to pretend that teenage boys don't look at teenage girls and then rate their looks? Because that's stupid. Now, is it also stupid to compile mass lists like this? Yes, it's immature and it's dumb. It's also something that teenage boys do. And treating it like this is the height of crime worthy of a piece in the Washington Post is pretty astonishing. It really is. Because is there any evidence that the boys were actually harassing the girls? If so, that is an independent activity that should be looked into and the school should do something about it. But if a bunch of guys get together and then create a secret list amongst themselves where they rate the girls, is that wonderful? No. Is that worthy of a piece in the Washington Post, for God's sake? No, it is not. So you're going to ruin these boys' lives you know we're going to we're going to now have the media try and track down these boys presumably because they had the 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 temerity to basically create an internal Tinder app right? a group Tinder app that's that's so th- this is a high priority now again i don't I, I think the girls have every right to be upset about being treated like pieces of meat but it's the overblown media coverage of this that is truly astonishing and we're all going and now we're all supposed to pretend that teenage boys don't rate teenage girls on the basis of looks By the way, teenage girls rate teenage boys on the basis of looks as well, I should note. But they say they they, they felt violated, objectified by classmates they considered friends. Note to teenage girls, teenage boys look at you as potential sex objects. I will warn my daughter of this. I will warn every young woman of this. Men, it turns out, like to look at women and then potentially have sex with them with consent. This is is something that men like to do. I hate to break it to folks. I mean, it's uncomfortable, these truths. Apparently... They said that, they, 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 said that they, they felt that there was power in numbers. She says dozens of senior girls decided to speak to the school administration and to their male classmates, demanding not only disciplinary action in response to the list. Disciplinary action in response to the list. I'll tell you a solution to this that no one's going to like. You should have separate boys and girls schools. When I was in high school, we had a separate boys school and a separate girls school. This is actually better for girls. Forget about the boys. It was much better for girls because studies tend to show that girls deliberately underperform in classrooms in order to attract boys. Really, this is what the social science tends to suggest. Girls and boys are better off separate in high school. But we can't do that. That would be terrible and repressive, apparently. It was the last straw for us girls of this boys-will-be-boys culture, said Bebahani. We're the generation that is going to make a change. So, a group of girls reported the list to an administrator who encouraged the the girls not to talk about it around school. The next day, the girls learned that after an investigation, school officials decided to discipline one male student with in-school detention for a day, And then they had a struggle session because they were unsatisfied with the disciplinary actions. They texted 15 girls and told them to tell all of their friends to show up at the school's main office the next day during lunch to tell them we feel unsafe in this environment and we are tired of this toxicity. I reiterate, this list was secret. It's not like they took the list, printed it out and stuck it on the wall. That would be a form of harassment. But if I text one of my friends when I'm in high school, and I'm like, you know who's hot? That girl. And then she gets a hold of that. You know what? That is not. That is not harassment. That is not harassment, and that is not toxicity. That is called normal human behavior. If you get together and you make a game out of it, it makes you kind of a jerk, but it doesn't mean that you should be disciplined by the school or called out in the pages of the Washington Post. My goodness. That Friday, on International Women's Day, almost all the students in the IB program, about 80 students, met in a large conference room for what was supposed to be a 45-minute meeting. Instead, the meeting lasted two and a half hours. Several girls delivered personal, impassioned speeches describing not only their presence on the list, but also their previous experiences with sexual abuse, harassment, and objectification. Again, if they were sexually abused or harassed, that is a different story. That is behavior that deserves punishment. But teenage boys texting each other about who is hot in the class. I, I, I legitimately can't get myself upset enough that I think that these boys should be targeted by the Washington Post over this. Is it good behavior? No, again, you should, for the 1,000th time, the segment. You should train your boys not to act like this with regard to girls. Is this worthy of Me Too coverage? Does this elevate to the level that boys are supposed to be punished in school for looking at a girl and then rating her looks? Is that really where, by the way, you think boys are going to stop doing this because you had a struggle session? You think boys are going to stop doing this because, you know what a normal boy would do? He would say, yeah, it was kind of a jerky thing to do to to be part of that list. I, I felt kind of uncomfortable and objectifying. It was kind of gross. But why are you lumping me in with the guy who sexually abused you? Because I didn't do that. All I did was say who I thought was hot or not. Hot or not has been a thing in high school since the dawn of high school. Hot or not has been a thing since forever. It's, again, not a wonderful part of human nature, but it is a part of human nature. The same people who suggest that you can't uh, teach—it's amazing. The same people who suggest that you can't teach abstinence only before marriage— will suggest now that we can somehow beat it out of boys to rate teenage girls based on looks when they're in high school. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Obviously, this should be top priority for the Washington Post. It, bleh. This is, it's just, it's over the top, and it's off-putting, and it's not productive in the end. It doesn't make relations between boys and girls better. All it really does is make boys more secretive about their behavior, and again, leads the media to believe that they're doing something righteous when, in fact, they are targeting kids who are legitimately just being kids. If girls had a similar list about boys, by the way, you know what the reaction would be? Nada. There'd be no reaction whatsoever, nor should there be. Nor really should there be. This is a question for the parents. This is is a question for the parents. It's really not a question for the school unless it was publicly posted in the school. Then it becomes a question of harassment. All righty. Well, we will be back here for two more hours later today. And I look forward to seeing you then. In the meantime, go pick up a copy of my book, The Right Side of History. Go check it out right now. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019.
2: Hey everyone, I'm Andrew Clavin, host of the Andrew Claven Show. You know, Chicago has a reputation as a corrupt Democrat machine town, because it's a corrupt Democrat machine town. We saw that yesterday in the Jussie Smollett case. We saw it for eight years during the Obama administration. It's not a question of Al Capone where Democrats gather, it's all Capone. I'm Andrew Claven. That's on the Andrew Clavin Show.
1: We'll get to more on this in just one second first.